You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Alright, we are in Luke 5 today. Luke 5 verse 12 is where I'm going to pick up and go from there. It says this. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We've talked about this before. Jesus occasionally tells people to be quiet about the miraculous things that they see. It's not because he doesn't want God to be glorified or doesn't want the person to take great joy in what happened. It's because Jesus knows how healing ministry goes. When you heal someone and people find out, then everybody flocks to you. And when your job is to go to the city to do a bunch of other missions, suddenly you can't because it's just the whole city coming to you and you can't do what you were there to do. Yeah, there's the free will that uh, Jesus actually like invested in people like, hey, I need you to be quiet about this because I, I have some stuff to do. And then those people almost always run and tell everybody and then Jesus just has to kind of leave and go to another area. Um, but God is always kind of like divine GPS, like recalculating, you know, like we'll figure out where the next mission goes here. Um, but that is not the point of today's message. That's, that's just a freebie. Point of today's message is this statement. It's always stuck out to me every time I read it. I will be clean. Like it feels like the wording of it just feels kind of strange. You know, the man comes up. Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. And like, I'm always, I don't know, I hear like a British thing in my head, like, please, if you will, right? Like, you can make me clean, sir. Uh, but the way that Jesus then says it back is like, Mark didn't like that. He's shaking his head at me. Jesus looks back at him and says, I will. I do will. It is my will to make you clean. It is out of the overflow of my desires for you that, yes, you would have just that. And there's something beautiful about that statement. Because this person in this moment, like, they, they're, they're, they're coming kind of feeling shameful. Like, they're afraid to be there. Lepers in general, they weren't supposed to be around sacred spaces. Lepers in general were sent as outcasts in the society. Uh, and they weren't able to easily go around other people because you never knew like what kind of contagion this was or, and things like that. So they were often ostracized. But Jesus walks right up to this, or Jesus receives this leper and says, I will. He, he doesn't look at him with shame. He doesn't look at him like, what are you doing over here, man? Don't you know the rules? 
Don't you know what the Bible says, the Old Testament, the laws about how we deal with leprosy? He doesn't. He walks right into that, and he doesn't even see the leper in front of him. Just, I will. I will for that for you. What I love about this story is it gives us such a great portrait of the goodness of God, the character of who God is. And that's something that we often get confused on. And when you look at the world these days, like people are still confused as to who God is. Like Jesus denied power all the way to the bitter end of the cross. And yet he was still glorified in his own kingdom and his own power. And yet you look at things like the January 6th insurrection where we are trying to, to take Jesus and say, get off that cross and get in there, you know? Go inside that White House and be our president. And when we look at that, it's like, that's not the goodness of God. That's not the character of God. That denies the scriptures of who Jesus says he is. And we know that because we see how Jesus acted in the Bible. But so often we want to go to other portraits of who God is in the Bible. So we, we turn to the Old Testament and we get it right from the very beginning. Like God is love. He's crafted us out of love. And there's all these different overtones in ancient culture that, that shows that very clearly. And then he loves on, on, on his descendants and he frees his people from slavery. And he, he takes them into to full freedom that they didn't have before is just love being poured out. And then, of course, we get to uh, the war campaigns of the Old Testament. This is where people always just like kind of want to hang their hat. When they don't like Jesus as he's presented, people often want to be like, well, that's not what God was like in the Old Testament. He was out seeming to kill people and send people to war and create genocide and all these things and sometimes you just gotta crush a few skulls to get what you want you know like that's the portrait that a lot of people want to rest in as to who God is and we look at that portrait and scholars and pastors and apologists are always trying to figure out how to deal with those stories and those narratives because they're so confusing to us based on who Christ is but rather than dwell there we always turn to Jesus and say I don't know, the, the, God, the God who is actually displayed to us is the God who wills. The God who wills for you. The God who steps into the thing that society calls shame and just loves you and cares about you and sees you for who you are and heals you. People will be like, okay, well, then we have both images. And this, this is where we have to be crystal clear about the gospel and about who God is. Jesus is not just a revelation of what God is like. Jesus is the revelation of what God is like. In other words, you don't usurp Jesus with other passages in the Bible. Jesus says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. The rest of Scripture doesn't say that. It doesn't say when you read... Judges you see the father No, Jesus is clear like look when you look at me when you see how I live when you see what I do when you see how I preach when you see the kinds of things I'm concerned about and the kinds of things that I teach about Then you have truly seen the revelation of revelations. You see what God is actually like 
And the rest of Scripture and all of its confusion needs to be grounded in Jesus. And if you read something somewhere else and it really doesn't seem to match Jesus, then you don't say, well, I guess Jesus didn't understand this passage. You say, Jesus, I can't seem to understand this passage over here. I need you to explain it to me. Because that's what the New Testament writers do. If you look at the way that the New Testament writers quote Scripture, they do it kind of weird. Like Paul sometimes is quoting Scripture, and you're like, bro, you took that out of context. Like, you just used a passage that was all about, like, attacking the Gentiles, and you used it to talk about God's love for the Gentiles. <laughs> that's, that's taking a Scripture way out of, passage, uh, way out of context right there. But the point is, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I focus my whole reading on the Bible in Jesus. And so when I see something in the Old Testament, and it could lean another way, I have to bring it to the Holy Spirit and say, help me understand this in the context of who Jesus is. And then the Holy Spirit highlights something to him. And he sees, oh, here's God's great love for the Gentiles in a passage that might have said otherwise before. Do you let the scriptures get infused with the Holy Spirit so that you might read it through the lens of Jesus? Because that's, that's the importance of everything. The Sermon on the Mount is the most, for me, one of the most central parts of all of scripture. Because Jesus gets up and says, you want to know what God is like? He loves you. He loves your enemies. Here are the tactics as to how he would go about bringing justice in this world. Here are the kinds of things that he considers blessed. Here are the, the kinds of sins that he wants to point out. Doesn't start when you finally commit the sin. It actually started a lot earlier in your heart. These are the ways that the kingdom of heaven works and the citizens of heaven live. And Jesus just lays it out. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, see how he preaches, and understand this is not just a revelation of God. It is the revelation of God. And we can go deeper. It gets inception, okay? If you want the revelation of the revelation of who God is, it's Jesus as the revelation on the cross as the mega statement of revelation of who God is. The cross is not just like a thing that happened within the story of Jesus. The cross is the center point. If you want to know what God is like, he's the kind of person that if you tried to kill him and it saved you, he would let you do it. He's the kind of person that though he could hold all vengeance against you, he would forgive you. He's the kind of person that is so loving towards you, he would stretch out his arms and say, go ahead, nail me down. This will actually save you. And any other glimpse in your mind that doesn't match the cross, it's not who God is. Because God is good. Only God is good. Even Jesus goes so far as to say, when someone calls him, he's like, why do you call me good? Only the Father is good. Which is interesting, because Jesus is God, and yet he still is just pointing straight to the Father. Do you know God is good? Because sometimes we get confused. There's so much going on down here 
that clouds our vision. And we look around, we're like, God can't be good. I mean, look at all these wars happening. Look at all this violence happening. God can't be good because when I look at the church, even they're doing evil stuff. And if that's supposed to be his people, then, then how am I supposed to believe that God is good? And we get caught up in all these thoughts that cloud our vision. And God is interested in keeping us grounded. I know you don't get it. I know this is confusing, but please don't confuse me with all of that because I am the enemy love forgiving God of the cross who is Jesus crucified for you. Do not confuse me with lesser images. I've seen this in, in uh, deliverance ministry before where I've been uh, praying with people and I usually teach them to try to meet with the Holy Spirit in a visualization kind of technique in their mind, just like imagine Jesus is there with you. If I ask you a question, what would he say? And sometimes I've seen Jesus really show up clearly in those moments and actually say something in those moments. That's not a new technique. That's what uh, saints have used all throughout history. It's what the prophets used in the Bible to meditate upon God and meet with him. And I remember one time we came across a repressed memory um, during a deliverance session that we knew um, was going to take some time to get this, this whole memory so that we could figure it out. And as we were praying, the person fell asleep. And then oddly, the Holy Spirit manifested in the person and said, you can't use that, that technique right now. You just, you can't use that right now. This memory is too intense. And then the person woke up and I realized, uh, and, and uh, I don't remember the exact wording. The Holy Spirit made it clear though, during the like three sentences that he spoke in that time. Don't use this memory right now. Uh, sorry, don't use this technique right now. This memory is too intense. I don't want them to be confusing my, me with what happened. And I knew what he was trying to get at. Is like, look, when, when you go to that meditative space and you visualize Jesus, and now you also are facing this really intense memory, it gets super confusing because we have Jesus standing right next to the horrors of our life. And we start to kind of put him in it. Why did you let this happen? Why? And so he actually, as a safety precaution, was like, don't, don't do that right now. When the person woke up, I didn't explain that to them. I just kind of chewed on it for a little bit. And later that day, I said... Uh, can you just visualize Jesus for me really quick? And they like had an instant headache and nearly threw up in that moment. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess we're not doing that anymore. And I had them try the next day uh, just to kind of test it out. And they're like, I can't, it's just, it's not even working. And God kept a lot of that technique away from their ability to do it until we had gotten the entire repressed memory and dealt with it, and then God showed up. And he was very careful that the thing that we were grounded in did not get lost. As we are doing this deliverance, as we're facing all of the horrors of your past, we need to remember God is good, because if we lose that, then we stop listening to God. If we don't believe he's good, and we stop caring about what he has to say. We lose the love of God. And man, you know, C.S. Lewis said it himself, there's no worse people in the world than religious bad people. 
When you lose the goodness of God, God becomes militarized to your own liking. That again is the very thing that we saw with the insurrection and all these other kinds of things that were happening. We set Jesus aside and said, we want to know God through all these other windows that are offered, through all these other contexts. And we chased after that. But God did not come to earth for no reason. <laughs> if all he had to do was save you on the cross, he could have literally been born and found a way to pull off that form of, of grace and then go. But that wasn't the full point. That wasn't everything he wanted to do. He showed us how to live. He taught us how to live. And he taught us what God looks like. And that is why you are a Christian, a Christ-shin, is because you are supposed to look like Christ. And if your God does not look like Christ, then you might be following a different God. If your God does not look like the love, as Jesus is defined by it, you might be following a different kind of love. Because if I asked every one of you in this room to define what love is, each one of you would give me a different answer. You are not the definition of love. God is. And it's seen clearly in Jesus. And part of the reason we can tell that he was showing us who God was is because everything he taught us was so counter to our human nature. When someone hurts you, don't retaliate. Love them. When you're mourning, you're not in a woeful state. You are blessed. When somebody hurts you and tries to take all your stuff away, give them more than, than they asked for. These are not human instructions. These are not the ways that humanity works. This is the way that God works. That's what his goodness looks like, as clearly demonstrated on the cross. He looks at you in your mess, and he says, I will be clean. His will is for you. His goodness frames how he treats you. And even when we run into more difficult situations with him, even his conviction is out of his goodness. Job wanted an explanation. God, aren't you good? Why is all this happening to me? And one day God will show him very clearly, yes, I'm good. Bad people want explanations too. Good people want explanations. We all want explanations. God, are you good? And one day God's goodness will be made manifest in fullness. It's what we call the day of judgment. And it freaks us out when we talk about it. But that's the day of God's goodness to reign. That everyone will taste God's goodness in a different way. Those who follow him and live his life will taste his goodness in one way. And those who have rejected him and want nothing to do with his goodness will taste uh, his goodness in, an, in a different way. But right now, we live in the patience of God calling us like, I want my goodness to bring everyone to me. 
Keep speaking the gospel. Keep showing them the will of Jesus. Keep living out the ways of Jesus. Stop reframing Jesus in your nationalistic ideals. Stop reframing Jesus in your violent ideals. Stop reframing Jesus in the horrors of your memories, in the way that the world clouds how you're seeing who God is. Read the gospel, ground yourself in it, and catch that glimpse. Well, when I read the gospel, it doesn't tell me how to deal with this situation. That's okay. It's given you enough to start thinking how Jesus would deal with your situation. You realize the Bible writers could have said way more about Jesus, but they didn't. Probably for two reasons. One, John says there was just all the libraries in the world could not contain everything that they could say. And two, paper was super expensive back then. And they just keep writing it all down. It would cost a fortune. So they condensed, give the Christians the primary material so they can understand what God looks like, they can dwell in that, they can live in that, and everything that they do can be fueled out of that. So when they get to those questions, we're like, well, how did Jesus act here? There's enough in the Gospels to be able to answer that. There's enough for Paul when he hits situations to be able to answer that. Where Paul runs into some... Uh, moral situations in the church and he says well I would probably have said it this way but Jesus actually said it this way so Jesus is right what I would say about the situation based on what Jesus said is something like this Paul's letting the Holy Spirit conform his mind he's letting Jesus be the ultimate revelation not what he wants to think so Jesus we come before you now you are our king and this is your kingdom we are your ambassadors your citizens and we do not have, um, we do not have the kind of freedom that we so often espouse. Uh, this is uh, this is a world that is always talking about freedom, and so often we we want to pretend that we have it in the same way. But true Christian freedom is actually submission to you. You teach us how to not get caught up in all the baggage that just full freedom of our wills can, can bring about by getting caught up in the conformity as to who you are, the ultimate revelation of who God is. And Jesus, your word says that we are becoming like you. Your word says that, that we are actually being transformed into the image of Jesus, that one day looking at ourselves in a mirror might be like looking at Jesus himself because the resurrection is growing in us more and more until one day it will come in full. That's what we want to long for. We're not looking to just live however we want right now and expect grace to cover it. We want to live in such a way that, that we are walking toward the fullness of the righteousness of who you are that the Sermon on the Mount is not just something that was taught to teach us how far we've fallen, but it was actually the standard of the citizens of heaven and how they should live. We want to be like you, Jesus, because then we are good representations, images of who God is, and the world will start to see it and taste his goodness, and then the world will want to come to his goodness. Teach us how to do all that in Jackson. Jesus, be the center point, the focal point upon which our faith rests. And don't let us settle for anything less than you. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen.